Good evening to you. And happy post-Fourth of July. Take your Bibles, please. Open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And we're continuing with this series entitled The Last Days. We've looked at what we're going to need to do in order to make it through the last days. And Paul says, you know my teaching. He says, you know my way of life. You know my purpose. And tonight we're going to look at the fourth entity, which is, you know my endurance. Endurance is when you run a race, but you're not sprinting to be as fast as you can. You can. You're running to see how long or how far you can go. So we as children of God need to be ready to stay in for the long haul. We didn't become Christians and then a year later wind up in heaven. And when we got saved, how many of you know Jesus didn't take us home right away? He left us here, so we're going to have some tests. We're going to have some trials, so we need to endure. We need to stay in for the long haul. And I know, because I'm like you and you're like me, we get hit with trials. We get hit with tests. We get hit with things that happen to us that we really can't explain. And, and yeah, maybe sometimes we say, good Lord, why is this happening to me? Well, it does. And God, when he allows these events to take place in our life, he doesn't cause them, but he uses them. Because without these tests to our faith, many of us would give up. We would say, you know what, this isn't worth it. But when the tests come and you go to him and you see what he's willing to do for you during these tests, your faith in Jesus increases and it grows. Much like you would never know that he could heal until you got sick. Who's following me? Amen. You would never know that he would bless you until you run out of money. You would never know that he is the light until you've been in the darkness. So again, God allows these situations to occur in our life, but he does not cause them. Satan, understand this, okay? Some people say to me sometimes, the devil's on my back. I go, bro, why should the devil be on your back? He doesn't single you out. But demons have assignments. And when it comes to your name and my name, they are assigned to turn us away from the love of God through Jesus Christ to a place where we just give up on being Christians. In our culture today, because of the events that are taking place in our, in our society, Christians are stopping going to church. They're stopping giving. The very things that kept us strong all these years, Christians are finding themselves... They're not interested in that anymore. Now come in with the internet, and it's not by mistake. And we, even Christians, I'm even using one tonight, we spend a lot of time here getting more and more information. And the book of Daniel said that in the last days, knowledge will increase. And now we have something called AI or artificial intelligence. And that robot is able to do things we never thought would be possible for us to do in our lifetime. And I read this morning in the news that artificial intelligence is going to have all those people that created the robot to be laid off. 
Isn't that amazing? So back to endurance. There's two issues that we deal with. One is anger. Things tend to rub you the wrong way and get you angry. Another one is we may tend to want to give up. Forget it. This is too much. I didn't sign up for this. Now, I know that there's no one that's like that in this room. But would you raise your hand for me, please, if you know people like that? <laughs> okay. One of, the, one of the character traits of the devil is anger. Did some, I'm not going to look, but did someone just say hallelujah? <laughs> I think I know what you meant. <laughs> anger is never to be in the bosom of a Christian. I didn't say you should never get angry, but you shouldn't stay angry. There's a big difference. Yeah, things are going to make you mad. It could happen driving home tonight. Somebody's going to make you mad. It could happen in our very own parking lot. But there's no need for us to stay angry because we are children of God. And he says, peace, I give you. My peace, I leave you. Not the type of peace the world gives. So God gives us peace, and that is the character quality that should be in each of us, male and female. People should sense that we're, we have peace. And it should be difficult for people to get us angry or upset. So if you find yourself getting angry a lot or getting angry quick, don't condemn yourself. But recognize it's another indication that I'm not where I should be or where I thought I was. So don't get condemned if you get anger or if you want to give up. But this is what I'm going to address tonight. So I ask you this question. How long does it take before you get upset? What does it take to get you angry? How is it that we're so ready to throw up our arms and walk away, and yet we say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? If it takes a long time to get you angry, then you're not dead. You're what the Bible calls this Greek word, makrothumia. I'm going to teach that to you. Say that with me, makrothumia. It's spelled M-A-K-R-O-S, makro, and thumia is T-H-U-M-I-A. Well, how many have heard of the word micro? Okay, some of you have. Some of you don't remember when you were in high school, do you? Micro is small, like a micrometer. Makros is the Greek word for large or long. Thumas, the Greek word thumia, thumas, is the Greek word for thermometer. So now picture what Pastor Mike is wanting to explain. If you are a makrothumia, you are a temperature a thermometer that takes a long time for the temperature in you to rise. Who's with me? Very good, very good. You learned a Greek word, makrothumia. So if the red liquid in you takes a long time before it comes up to the top and bursts, you're exactly what God wants us to be. Long-suffering is the word that we get from this. From this word, we get our English word, long-suffering, or patience. 
Well, long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy and is used of God. Patience, patience is a quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It is the opposite of despondency and is associated with hope. If you're older, you remember the phrase, don't let someone get your goat. Those of you that are older, how many remember that phrase? Those of us that are younger go, what the heck is he talking about? Well, what it means is that if you had a goat and it was corralled or tied up somewhere and someone let that goat go and it went running off someplace that you'd get very, very upset. Don't let him get your goat. Don't let him get you upset. Turn to someone and say, control yourself. <laughs> Look back at them and say, calm down. <laughs> and who do you know that has ever calmed down when somebody told him to calm down? That makes us really, hey, calm down. No, you calm down. <laughs> so let's look at this point. Why do we get angry? Especially in the last days when demons are being released on the earth to turn us away from God so that they can show non-Christians, look at those Christians getting so upset and losing their cool. We have to ask ourselves, why did that get me angry? Was it a look? Was it a, a look of disdain or, you know, looking you up and down? Was it somebody cutting in front of you? Somebody taking your, your place at the, in line at the store? What is it that gets you so angry? Well, the violation, anger is, the cause of anger is the violation of personal rights. How many of you think you might have personal rights? Okay, it's wrong to lie in church. <laughs> All right, I'm going to rephrase the question. How many of you get angry? Are you see, look around. Look how many hands are up. <laughs> you know what makes me angry? You know what makes you angry? Want me to tell you? when your personal rights have been violated. What personal rights? When I get home and she's on the phone and dinner's not ready. Oh. When I was planning on using that money that I was saving for something I wanted and it's not there and you spent it. When I wanna sleep but you're talking on your phone or doing something and you're keeping me awake. You see, a personal right is I have the right to go to sleep when I want, to eat when I want, to get up when I want. But when you become a child of God, you surrender your rights to him. And what he gives you in exchange is makrothumia, or patience. What makes me angry is when I feel my rights have been violated. Within our makeup, we can only have one or two emotions. We can either have anger or meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is the ability to control my emotions. 
Meekness is yielding all my personal rights and possessions to God so that he's free to accomplish his will in and through me. For example, if I give him my car, and after I say, Lord, I release control of this car, it's now yours, and somebody comes and side, hits me on the side and wrecks my car and they total it out, now I don't have a car. And in my mind, Satan is going, hey, dummy, you gave your car to God and it wrecked. And what I say back to him, hey, dummy, it's not my car. It's his car. And if he wants somebody to wreck his car, then he'll give me another car. <clears throat> that has to be the weakest clap I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> that means, that was a pretty good illustration, Pastor, but I'm not sure I bought into that. Well, if it's no longer yours, then it shouldn't affect you. It's not yours. You gave it to him. Well, what happens when you give him your wife? Doesn't mean she's, he's going to take her away. Oh, thank you, God, thank you. No, that doesn't mean that. When you give him your, your, your children, I give my children to I'm not the one in control of them anymore. You are. When you give him your job, so if they let you go and they lay you off, it's not your job. What are you angry about? It's his job, and it's his responsibility to take care of you because you put your possessions in his hands. You gave him full control. So you're no longer in control of everything in your life. So you don't have personal rights. If somebody cuts in front of you and somebody else, you're going to let them do that and you go, do what? Well, they just cut in front of you. Well, it seems to be bugging you more than it does me. It's hard for us when we've been raised with so much attention to say, I'm not important. He is. I'm not the important one here anymore. Well, I don't like your sermons. Well, it doesn't matter because I'm not important. He is. I'm preaching to you from his word and about him. We must first identify what we think are our personal rights and what we think our personal possessions are. If you give your possessions to God, why then did you buy an alarm system for your property? So whatever they take, well, doesn't that upset you? Well, it's not mine. I gave it to him. He wanted somebody else to have it. He's responsible then to take care of me, not me to take care of him. God is responsible to take care of me. Secondly, we must picture ourselves kneeling before God's altar. Take personal rights, which God has given to you, and place them on his altar with no strings attached. Include the rights which have caused you to become angry or worried, and also the rights to those things which you cherish the most. What would you miss the most if someone took it, if it was gone? That's because you still own it. What would you miss the most? I'm going to bring you a long way forward. If you've ever said, if I lost my wife, I think I would die. I would miss her so much. And then added to that, 
Have you ever felt that way about your relationship with him? If I didn't have you in my life, I would crush, I would crumble. I don't know what I would do. Who's more important? And you know what? This is Christianity. Jesus himself said, if you love family or children or possessions more than me, you're not worthy of me. You see, church, if you give him your possessions, you're not going to lose out. You're going to have more now. He, so he told Peter, where, Peter said, where should we go? We've given up families, friends, homes. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto Peter, on this time, on this earth, now, you shall have more than you can even count. For example, if your own family doesn't want anything to do with you, you notice how many people in your church family want to be with you all the time. Amen. Come on. When I came back from Vietnam, years had passed, and after I had the quadruple bypass, the percentage that I got from the military for being in Vietnam, because of the Agent Orange, had caused my heart to function the way it shouldn't have. So when I went through the surgery, well, they only gave me a compensation of 1%, whereas other veterans were getting 100%, as much as $4,000 a month for life, tax-free. But I didn't get that. I only got 1%. And some veterans said to me, you know what, Pastor Mike, you were in Vietnam. You should tell them you have diabetes. They will add to your compensation. You'll get a lot more money. And you may have to go through PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder training, because of the war drama you saw. But you're going to get a lot more money. I thought about that, and I made this statement to them and to myself. I'd rather have my health. You can keep the money. Amen. Now, for me, for me, that was probably a test. I don't know. But it's like God says to me, Mike, I, I'm giving you health. You don't have diabetes. Don't go and confess that you have diabetes just so you can get much more money. How much money would make you happy? Wouldn't you rather have my blessings than what the world can give you? Now, see, people, I, okay, people don't really understand that, but there are others like myself that think that way. Third, we must accept responsibilities from the Lord. So having a spouse, having children, having a job, we shouldn't complain about these things. They shouldn't get our blood to boil because we and you, we belong to God. Give him a hand of praise. We belong to him. So God wants us to put self to death on the altar of sacrifice and to put Jesus on the throne of our heart by making him Lord of our life. Jesus wants us to deny the self within us. That means and it's hard because when I was told this, I cried. I didn't understand. He told me, Mike, you have to die. I didn't want to die. 
But he said, you have to die. I go, what do you mean I have to die? I, I'm just barely starting to enjoy my life. What do you mean you have to die? It's that you're not important anymore. Others, doesn't the Bible say, esteem others as more important than yourself? How many of you think you can live that way? I'm not there yet. Doesn't the Bible say if someone smites you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Let him hit that one too. If you slap me on the cheek, I don't know if I could turn the other. I might turn your cheek, but I don't know if I could <laughs> turn my cheek. But you're getting my point. In other words, you finished this sentence for me. I must decrease, he must increase. And that is what this sermon's about. A person that is decreasing, you don't have possessions. You don't have things that are important anymore. You gave them to God. He's more important to you than anything on this earth. Come on, church. And here's a statement I have in my sermon that I'm giving to you. The anger, the lust, the self-pity, the argumentative spirit, the jealousy, and the envy, all these need to go. They can no longer abide in the heart of a Christian. They need to go. Gosh, this is a good sermon. <laughs> so the need for daily denial of the self indicates the presence of a day-by-day -day battle inside the Christian. He must take up the cross as an instrument of death upon which to crucify self every day. This doesn't mean carrying some heavy burden. It means putting to death the old life patterns, the old you. That you would put them to death. You would stop acting like, forgive me for saying it, stop acting like a big baby. Get rid of that. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. I'm not asking you to walk around with a howdy-doody smile on your face that never goes away. I'm asking you to live in such a way that you're at peace that like you just quoted, God is in control of my life. So here's what we need to do. Drop the old man. Get rid of him. He's been shacking up with you for a long time. Drop the old man. Put on love. The way it says it in Colossians is to put off anger and wrath, and malice, but put on love. Put off this other stuff. Quit acting that way. Quit being a big baby. Put on what a grown person has is love. After you put off the old man, you must put on a garment of love. You must seek to follow Jesus Christ. This is what is meant when we're told to discipline yourself for Jesus. It means to continue to say no to self and say yes to Christ every day until one by one each of the old habits are replaced by a new one. Now doing this on a continual basis becomes more natural. And the Holy Spirit thus enables a believer to put off the old man and to put on, put on the new man. In other words, you and I should be in a continual ch uh, sense of change or revision or difference than what we were formerly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity. Put it to death. 
impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. Get rid of that. And grabbing whatever attracts your fancy, get rid of that. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. And if you read that scripture, you can begin to comprehend what God wants and what Paul meant when he says, you know my endurance. This is how you're going to make it through the last days. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Wear love. Come on, that's what God's word says. Now look at this statement. And this, this has to be all of us. You know what my problem is? No, what? Everywhere I go, I go with me. I can't go anywhere without me showing up. Sometimes I go someplace and I think, you know what, I'm in a good mood. And then I show up. Who's following me? Okay, four of you. The rest of you will pray for you. And what I'm about to say to you is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 36. And I think it's the hardest thing for Christians to say. Here it is. Not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. That's the life of the Christian. If you don't learn it here, how will you ever live like this in heaven? Not my will. So you cease being a taker. You develop a new nature. You become a giver. You give the Holy Spirit of God full authority in the areas of your life that you're struggling with. And I said earlier, so if you are struggling, don't condemn yourself, but recognize that God is indicating to you an area where you need to grow up. But the devil wants to condemn you for that. Don't feel condemned. God doesn't condemn, only Satan does. But God allows your eyes to be open so that you can see, boy, I need to grow in that area. Not my will when a coworker begins to flirt with you and you're married and so is she. Do you see what I'm saying? Not my will. Everything in me wants to go because she keeps smiling. I find her attractive. She touches me when she talks to me. I touch her back when I talk to her. You, you seem people, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Good. Not my will. Not my will when some money is left out and no one's around and it's not mine. Not my will when you come across pornography on your computer and it's looking good. Not my will when you feel like walking away from your marriage because your feelings have been hurt or you're angry. And when you no longer feed this old nature and you begin listening to the Holy Spirit in your life, you start to listen to your wife or your husband. You consider what they say is important. You come home from work to spend time with your children. You actually smile when your husband comes home instead of dumping on him. Statements come out of you like, what can I do to help you? How do you feel today? 
How was your day? And as you continue to surrender your feelings or desires to God's way, your new nature that is controlled by the Holy Spirit begins, begins to take shape and to grow stronger. People comment how you have changed and how you are no longer like you once were. They say when you first start working out, I'm, I mean seriously, in the first week, someone that's close to you may say, you're changing. What are you doing? I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, what am I doing? By the sixth week, close members in your family go, what are you doing? What's going on with you? You're not, you don't even look the same. And by the 12th week, more people are on board on the boat saying, boy, you're looking better and better. Well, the same thing's happening when you start surrendering areas which you used to consider very strategic and important and you give them to the Holy Spirit and you take what he gives you. God sends other Christians to compliment you. They start noticing. The other, well, last week, the person I usually go to lunch with, Pastor Robert Mize, he was not around. And I've shared this with you before. We go to a lot of places. So when I walk in by myself, I told you they come and go, are, are you okay? <laughs> what do you mean, am I okay? Uh, well, we usually eat with your friend. He's not here. And then I told you, I say things, well, he got arrested for selling drugs. And he, <laughs> In other words, what does it matter to you? He's not with me. Well, the other day I went to lunch by myself. And there is a woman, and she might be here tonight. She works at this restaurant. And she walked up to me in line, and she said, I'm going to pay for your lunch. And then she went behind the counter and told the, the guy behind the cash register, she described me, she said, when he comes up, give him whatever he wants, I'll pay for it. I was by myself and she paid for my lunch. And do you know that when that happens, do you know what's going on? It's God telling you, I see you today, don't think I don't notice you and I gotta tell you how much I love you. And it's happened to me quite extensively because when I get home, Linda will say, where'd you go today? And I'll tell her, and I said, somebody bought my lunch. Someone paid for me. Someone bought my lunch. And you look at good things like that happening in your life as God saying, I love you today. I'm watching you. You're important to me. It, it may be somebody opening the door and turning around and smiling for you instead of opening the door and walking through and letting it close in your face. So when good things are happening to you, it's actually God showing you, I'm taking care of you, I'm watching you. You see, because we think that he doesn't think that much about us. But you are more important to him with billions of people on this earth. 
He knows everything about you. Everything. So why am I in church? Why am I becoming a Christian? Why am I reading the word of God so that I can say, not my will anymore. Yours be done. And if you do that, Satan will not be able to get you. Then you're going to hear this statement. That used to make you so mad, and now you just shrugged it off. This is the power of God at work in your life. You put Jesus on the throne and made him the Lord of your life. You live for God. You live to please God, and you love to honor him with your life. Because someone said, I would die for God. And God says, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. So you have to ask yourself, can I do that? Can I live for God? Lord God, I ask you in the name of Jesus to remind me to surrender my life to you Every opportunity I get, teach me to say the words, not my will, but your will be done. Because I know, Lord, that will get me into heaven. But when we say, not your will, but my will be done, then God says, there's a place where that is at. That's not in my presence. That's in hell. You wanted your will, you wanted your way, then you won't be in my presence. But when you say and you learn to say, not my will, Lord God, I surrender to you. Show me the things that you want me to release to you. Show me the things that I'm worried about, which is an indication I'm in control of it. Give me peace in those areas. Show me the things you want me to release to you. Show me the situations you want me to give to you. I love you and I want to become like you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. And his church said, Amen. Good night, church. I love you.